Alright, welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Alark Purcell. Each week we discuss different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view in them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. Yeah, I kind of feel like just hanging out today. Yeah, me too, man. I I'm, feel so unmotivated. Uh, I'm just like barely even alive. Well, I've been writing a lot, as you know. Oh yeah, nice. Right now, I'm struggling with the ending of one of the one of the things that I'm working on. Oh yeah, and man, our ending's hard. That's like the hardest thing. And like me and the writer are pretty sure that we don't want to do anything else until we know the ending so we can go back and set it all up so we have like a pretty basic outline for the story and now we're just trying to find figure out what like a satisfying ending is yeah part of our technique is figuring out like what is the movie really about like what are we trying to say so that way the ending kind of feeds into that right yeah I mean, with the alternate, I had the ending first, so the, I knew how I wanted it to end, how I wanted the, how I wanted the last act to go, like before yeah. I even wrote the movie, and then I wrote that part of the outline. I think I wrote the very beginning of the outline, and then I skipped the middle, and then wrote the end of the outline, and then I came back and filled in the outline, and then from there I wrote the movie, and I think I might have even written the the ending first and then the beginning. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it makes a difference. I think it helps to know where you're headed. Uh, I've been reading this John Truby book and it's been very helpful. And nice. he, he talks a lot about that too. So like you got to kind of like reverse engineer everything. You start with certain things and then you reverse engineer them to come up with like the setup for it. Nice. Awesome. Cause it should all feel inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It should all feel like connected. And then like you, like you don't know where you're going, but then when you get there, it all feels like it belongs, you know? Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of writers, they don't do that. And then they get to the end and it's just like this twist, you know, just to like shock you and make you go, Oh wow. I didn't see that coming, but I don't feel like that, that makes a satisfying ending. Right. When you're in the hands of a good storyteller, you just feel like you're being led along and it all like fits together into this this puzzle right and you're shocked in the right way or you know yeah like it's not surprised. shock like oh i didn't see that coming it's more shock like um i don't know it's almost like you see all the pieces come together in your head at that that last moment and you're like oh my god of course this is how it was all building up this is amazing yeah i'm trying to think of like my favorite movies and that, that don't necessarily have twists involved in them like uh terminator fellas terminator Alien. Alien and um, Back to the Future, like all those movies, like you watch them and each frame, like, you know, is, is necessary, you know, even, even like, I like watch Guardians of the Galaxy a bunch and mm -hmm. watch it with the commentary. And even that movie, like e everything that they're, you're get, they're telling you and showing you in that movie is integral into understanding the story. Mm -hmm. Like there's no throwaway scenes or nothing that is there just to, you know, give you character development or do or this or that. Like it, <laughs> right. it, everything is like tied in together. And I think that's what great filmmaking is, is like everything needs to be understood by the audience in order for the story to make sense, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's probably what more what you're talking about, right? Is that everything works together. Yeah, yeah, everything works together. And some some things are working under the surface that I don't think that audiences even really understand on an intellectual level, but it still works. Like, right. uh, I've been looking at Rear Window a lot lately, and all the stories that take place in the apartments that Jeffries is looking at has to do with love. I don't think mm. it's something that you intellectually think about when you're watching the movie but i think it underlines like what that movie is about in mm -hmm. a way that feels very cohesive like i think part of the reason that movie is so classic and well known is not just because there's like really cool set pieces and like it's a really cool plot but i think there's this underlining theme of like of love and 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 uh, neighborhoods and you know like there's a whole bunch of like thematic elements in there that I don't think ever really get addressed by what's going on in the main story of him suspecting his neighbor murdered his wife that I think really adds to that story in ways that most audiences just don't understand but feel it that right. can, it makes any sense 
you're, you're you're talking like your true self, you know, like the emotional <laughs> filmmaker, like you know, like going going to the core of it. It's all about emotion and feeling and right, totally. and characters and and you know all that stuff. And it's funny because like when I think of Rear Window, I just think of like uh, the the unknown and like the 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 kind of the more of the horror elements of it. You know, yeah, how, no, I think it's way deeper than that. Yeah, but I mean, but, I like that part of it you know as well you know and i i enjoy that sense of you know cla- like you're it's like sort of this claustrophobic feeling because he's like stuck yeah. in this in this situation and you know it's like he's he was watching and then like you know he doesn't really want to watch but then he has to watch and then he's like he's just saying it's really cool i like that movie yeah and i wonder if it's almost like there's like this top level of like what the pitches of the movie that audiences are like oh i want to see that movie and that has to be good and then there's like the secondary level of like, what's the movie actually about? That has to right. be good, but that's not necessarily the reason people came to see it. And then there's like this third level underneath that where it's like all the pieces of the movie kind of like support that theme in a very unconscious way. And all this like creates this cohesion of story that some things resonate with audiences in, in a way that they understand. And some things I think are just part of the lattice work of the movie and that, that helps support why audiences enjoy it. And I just feel like if you don't, if you take away some of those level levels, you end up with the movie kind of like green room, which to me <laughs> just didn't have anything but below like the surface idea of it. I, man, which you uh, haven't seen yet, so we can't talk about it. But no. I mean, that's kind of why that movie bothered me is I didn't feel like there was an uh, underlying life beyond like just the pitch of the story. I feel like maybe I don't know. You're not. You're. You might be. I don't know. Because like, I, so Andrew loved it. Like, uh, not Andrew. Colin loved it like crazy. Yeah, Colin loved and, it a lot. And then half the like a lot of the crew I talked to, they were everyone saying Green Room is like their favorite movie of the year. And so <laughs> interesting, I, there must be something more to it than that, you know? Cause yeah, like, maybe I maybe I missed it. Maybe it wasn't something it. that spoke to me individually. But yeah. yeah, I missed it. I, it didn't it didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I, interesting. Um, I don't know. There's so I wanted to say just on a completely different note. Like I I was watching some indie movies on Netflix over the last week while I, while I've been doing my prep, like I'll, I would set up my call sheet and be working on my call sheet with a movie playing in the background. And, uh, I watched this one that Beth made me turn off in five minutes when we put it on together mm-hmm. and then I finished it by myself. And, uh, Man, was it bad. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't just that it was bad. It was just boring and dull and, it didn't really it like in an hour and a half it hardly said anything and when it really got to what it was about like i thought it was about one thing and it was kind of about that but then it was really not about that and and they didn't really show you much about that and then the very re- big reveal at the end was so lame and not even like it was basically felt like a movie that like some high schoolers made but that it looked really, really good, but it was like about the story depth of a movie that like you and I would have made in high school. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, it looked, it looked good. It looked like a professional movie, but, uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't that good. And you're like, how, so how is this even on Netflix? How did this get a the, I know, I think they even had a theatrical or maybe it wasn't no theatrical, just a VOD release and then, then onto Netflix. But it's just like, I mean, I heard about the movie through Twitter or something originally. And then I love the catch. The synopsis was like, sounded great. It was like awesome. And then I watched this movie and I'm like, oh my God, like if, if I hadn't had work to do, I would have turned it off. It just, the point I'm getting at is like, like basically none of the levels you're talking about worked for that movie. Like the top level didn't work. <laughs> right. The middle level didn't work. <laughs> right. None of it worked, but it's still, it's still out successful, there. still out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I, I'm not saying that you can aim low or whatever, but it's like, I mean, well, geez. here's what I'll say about that. Every filmmaker and every audience member is going to have a different point of view about what a good story is. My idea about what a good story is, is different from your idea about what a good story is. And we all mm. just, we want different things from our films and that's okay. And that's what makes the world go round, right? Is that we all like different things. So 
right. I don't think you can say that one one story type is better than another and you just have to kind of find what kind of stories do you like and then go after that I think you can get really confused if you try to put all stories into one bucket and you say everything fits into this one frame it just doesn't and and that's what I'm seeing is like you brought up usual suspects and I just feel like that's a different type of storytelling than what I'm trying to do and so I would never use that as a reference because right. it would I would just get lost if I tried to be like well how does usual suspects work and why is my movie why why does that one work and it's not doing the, the types of things that I'm trying to do with my movie? It's just different. There's different structures. And I think oh, we, yeah. we tend to believe with all these screenwriting books that there's kind of like this one form that everything kind of fits into. And I'm starting to see that there's not, which I want to talk to you about it on another a podcast is John Truby in his book has kind of like some um, standard story structures that he just points out. It's like, here's like three different story structures that have been used over the thousands of years of human history that you should think about. And there's other ones too. And it's just like, whoa, there's more than one. I always thought it was like three acts and there's the inciting incident. And, you know, there's the hero's journey that I, everything kind of fits into. But actually the hero's journey is a different kind of story than like usual suspects. Usual suspects All is right. not a hero's journey. It's not going to fit into to Christopher, was it Vogel? Vogler's? Mm. man with the yeah, thousand faces theory so mm. you have to kind of find what works for you and then like go after that yeah but beyond all things it has to be good like, <laughs> like it has to be engaging in some way and i think like in, engaging your audience is something that filmmakers don't necessarily think about enough you know like they they just think like oh this is how i want to see it and this is what i want to show so you know obviously this is going to be good and i mean i think to some degree we've talked about this like you want to you want to bring your vision to life and hopefully someone else will want to see what you want to see but at the same time you have to make sure you're engaging audiences because if 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 you're not engaging with with the people who are watching it in some way uh you're gonna lose them well i would say i would i would rephrase that in a different way that if you make a movie that's so personal to you that only you can understand it you know if it's too sentimental and too personal to what you've gone through and the only way to understand it is to be you i think that's a failure so i think it's about taking all the things you like taking all the things you're trying to do and then presenting it to an audience in a way that people with different backgrounds and different life experiences can see what what you're trying to do and appreciate it right yeah I guess so. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you're just like, if it's, if you're reliant on your movie working because it's an homage to the Terminator, only the people that have seen the Terminator are going to understand it, which I just feel like is, it's a failure. Like movies should kind of, and stories should stand, stand on, on their, their own. own. And they, yeah. they need to work without context to other things to a certain degree. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of movies that speak socially to things that are happening in our world, but I feel like beyond that social statement it also needs to work on a level where it, you don't have to understand how it's socially relevant to get the human aspect of it i mean i totally agree with that i mean what, I, what i'm thinking about more is like like if you want to have like a really long shot of your hero getting into a car and slowly driving away into the sunset yeah. um you can only really do that if you are somehow engaging with your audience through that shot. You know, if you're giving them sort of some experience or information or feeling that they, they don't already have, you know, by watching that, like, let's say, yeah, cause I just feel like that kind of thing is just so you've seen that so many times that if someone watches that shot, like halfway through the shot, they know they're going to know what's going to happen next. Right. Because it's just something that we've seen over and over again. So it's almost, it's not like saying you can't ever do that shot, but if you're going to do that, you have to be doing it for a reason. And you have to be somehow, somehow you have to be engaging with the audience in some way, specifically, not just because, oh, I really like that lone cowboy driving into the midnight, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, onto the next adventure type of thing. Like, cause, you know, no one cares about that. (laughs) I I don't think. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Right. 
it can't just be because, oh, I wanted to do a shot like that or I liked it or whatever. It needs to be because I want the audience to feel X and I want the audience to know this or I or want trying to give them this. I'm idea. trying to communicate this. I'm trying to give you this feeling, you know, but if it's just because I liked it or I really wanted to have a shot like this or I really wanted to. Um, you know, I, my favorite director is X and they did something like this and this, their, this movie. And so I wanted to do that in my movie and this was a good place to do it. And, and it doesn't have any story or any emotional significance to the audience, then it doesn't deserve to be in the movie, you know? And I think people don't think about it that way. They just think about, oh, I just wanted to do it. So I did it, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you guys remember, um, probably back in like March or even February, I was t- talking about a Korean American movie that I was going to produce like a feature. Yeah. So, um, probably like three weeks ago, um, the director emailed me or four weeks ago and said, Oh, I want to do a short film. Um, you know, and, uh, he sent me a script for the short version of, the the good man for the feature and was like so in short version is it like the entire script that's shrunken down into like a shorter period of time or they chose one scene no it's like new scenes even like like some (laughs) some stuff that was in the original script and then um one thing that was kind of new and different and then um some abbreviated stuff like all kind of you know in about 10 to 12 pages roughly of script. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt like, okay, well this is cool, but you know, this isn't like the most, the, the most defined best version of, of like what a short version of the feature could be, but it's like, it's okay. But I was like, really wanted to just wait and really develop it together and make it and right. you know and and figure out how we could really make the most amazing thing ever but then Is we that have what this, you told them yeah but we we have this deadline of june third june 30th to turn in um a piece and i was really heavily trying to suggest that we wait a year and submit to the next year of the film festival but then it was very right. clear that they were not willing to do that and that they needed to do it this year. It had to be right now. And if it wasn't right now, um, it would never happen. So they had to do it or something. It's just like, they, this actually happened on over my dead body too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like as soon when I heard that, when I saw that script, they're like, we're in a hurry. We, we got to get the shot by November. So that way they wanted to get it ready for the San Francisco film festival. It's like, let's just forget about that. And let's just do it in the time frame that we can make it good. Right. Luckily, they said yes. So they, these guys just didn't want to wait, huh? No, no. Like, in I guess, <laughs> okay. I don't know. There's probably a lot of other things going on behind the scenes because I started thinking about lots of things that weren't helpful. Like, well, why, you know, because the, the feature got postponed in, in April. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, why didn't we start working on this in April? We could have made something way better, you know. But I, I was just like kind of frustrated that we waited so long to start working on it and then frustrated that we weren't going to wait and then frustrated that we couldn't really make the best version of the 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 movie that we could but um, but basically what happened was I just I like said no we shouldn't do it like three times and then I had a really <laughs> heavy conversation with the director on the phone and then he was just like he just said like you know we're going to I'm doing it no matter what and I was like okay well all right, let's do it. And then the DP, Jason, who I really like and shot um, The Rage and Strange Thing, was like in for it and like was way more optimistic than I was. And so I was like, all right, I'll help you guys do it. And so we uh, we just did it. And like I basically agreed, I think, two Thursdays before we shot. Like So not last Thursday, but the Thursday before was like the day I officially agreed to do it. So and basically so, for the deadline of June 30th you had you have a total of 3 weeks between pre-production, shooting and post. Yeah. Basically. And oh I mean gosh. and he had already done a bunch of pre-production before so like most of the locations were secured already and then um he had made the decision not to use um a bunch of uh you know there were some real actors but mostly just um the team members cuz I guess you know, the story is all kind of a little autobiographical and like they've mm-hmm. been practicing to be in the movie when it was a feature 
for like a year. So like a lot of the team members had known the characters really well and like had practiced the the dialogue, you know, so they were like all kind of ready to do it. And like we had a really hard time finding Korean American actors in the Bay Area and they need to be, you know, Korean Americans who can speak Korean and English and finding even one of those was really really hard so and all the team members all all fit that profile so that's sort of why they wanted to just go with those actors especially with a short time yeah Mm -hmm. so so basically walking into it we had like 90 percent of cast and then Mm -hmm. all the locations and then my job was to like do crew um help with some extras um, and then put the whole shoot together and schedule and all that, you know, all that stuff. And so, yeah, we pulled it off. But I mean, my God, do we have every every single problem <laughs> that you could imagine sh- to happen? You know, how many shoot days was it? Three shoot days. So, so you shot Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, slept all day yesterday. And well, then you're recording the podcast today. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to bed at 5 a.m. and then I slept till 11. So it was only six hours, although it felt <laughs> like it was all day. Right. It feels like all day when you sleep like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, and then, man. So how did it go? Uh, it actually went really well. Um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, because... I mean, it was, I don't know. Where do you want me to start? Like, do you want me to just talk about the shoot itself? Or do you want me to talk about, like, the planning going into it? Or where where should I go? Like, I guess, what what do you think is going to be the most interesting story for me? Hmm. You you told me, you you said that I was, you're going to tell me something that I was going to yeah. thought was unbelievable. Yeah, it is pretty unbelievable. Um, so, let's just set the scene a little bit. Um, we're, so, one of the scenes that we did involved a fake gun. Um, you know, and, in an alley. And the original plan was to shoot, um, the scene that's inside a bar that's unrelated to the gun scene at the same bar as, as the bar interior. So we were going to do bar interior and then we were going to go out to this parking lot that, that the bar owned that we had access to and do this sort of this gun scene. And, uh, we had a stunt coordinator and a special effects makeup artist on board. And I, when I talked to the stunt coordinator, he was like, okay, I'm going to bring, um, these, these fake replica toy guns, but they look very real. They, they, they have the, you know, the gun barrel that moves and smoke comes out of the front. So you need to notify the police that we're doing this. I was like, okay, no problem. So I called the Sunnyvale police department, like on Thursday or something and reported what we were doing. And they're like, no problem. Just, um, take down your information. And then the day that you do it, call us again. I was like, fine done deal and um <laughs> so that was all good and we were all set and then so saturday night like midnight we're like shooting in the supermarket doing um a big dialogue scene and my phone goes off i can't get it it's like a far away number I, I i missed the call and then a second later the director gets gets a phone call and he's on the phone and he looks freaked out and then he just hands me the phone and he's like you got to talk to this guy i don't know what's going on and then it's this police officer at Sunnyvale police station. And he's like, I don't know what's going on out here. Who, who is this? What's going on? Is this, are you Ulrich Purcell? Like, Oh, I just called your number and you didn't pick up. So I don't know what you're doing. What's going on. And, and he was just like this really aggressive guy. And he was like, <laughs> so what's going on tomorrow at the, at the patio bar? What's happening over here? And I was like, well, yes, yeah, so this is what we're doing. I called on the police, whatever, whatever. And he's like, yeah, well, let me tell you here right now. Um, the owner of the bar, uh, I just spoke with her and she didn't know anything about what you're doing. She didn't know anything about what you're doing at all. Um, and you're trying to say you're going to bring a gun into a bar, a gun into a bar after what happened. And like, you know, rightfully so the, or the whole Orlando thing is like the biggest tragedy ever. And it's, you know, obviously a big deal. And I completely hadn't even thought about it because, you know, we've been planning this before that even happened. And I don't really, I didn't really associate it with the same thing because the scene right. isn't even in a bar. It's just outside a bar. <laughs> right. So wait, did the, the police called the bar owner and talk to them about it? Yeah. And the bar owner's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, she knew about the interior stuff and I guess she knew about the exterior stuff, but, uh, they never told her that it was going to be a gun thing. Right. Um, which was like, they're just like, we're shooting a movie and we're, we yeah. need to. The inside and then the outside. Yeah, the alley. So she's yeah. like, great, fine, whatever. But it's like, 
you know, you obviously have to be really clear about these things because it's like, you <laughs> right. know, it makes a big difference. Um, and then, so anyway, so he got really mad at me and lectured me for being so insensitive as to, you know, it's one thing to plan it beforehand, but like to even think about going through with your shoot after what happened is completely re reckless and completely un ridiculous. Like the fact that you think it would be okay to make a movie like this after that, what happened and it's like, oh my god! Like, like uh, okay. So he's uh, assuming that you're making a movie where somebody goes into a bar and shoots it up. Yeah, or a gun fight at a bar. He's like anything with gun and bar. It's like gun and bar <laughs> is not allowed. <laughs> you know, you can't have a gun near a bar or next to a bar or whatever. And I mean, I understand, I understand that. But I mean, at the same time, it's like you know. Like, what are we going to censor ourselves? Um, right. You know, every time Artists, something terrible happens. So did, uh, so, so how long did this conversation last? For like 15 minutes, like in the middle of shooting. So I had to step away from set and, and the DP had to just run the set for me while I was having this conversation. And then I talked to him and got lectured and, and, and he was like, and I was like, well, what if we just have a, a different type of scene? What we, no gun or whatever. And he's like, you got to talk to the bar owner. She's really upset and angry. And she's like saying she wants to pull the whole thing away now. And so I talked to her and she was freaking out. And I guess she has, she doesn't like the cops uh, or police. And she's yeah. like, she's like, gave me this big lecture about how she spent like 30 years trying to keep police out of her bar. And now because of us, like all these police are going to be in her bar and around her bar and, <laughs> You know, like she didn't want it. I was like, well, what if we just shoot the interior scene there and we don't even shoot the exterior stuff? She's like, no, too late now. Now we can't do anything. We, you guys have to just go away and not be around here. I can't have the attention. And so she basically, I was like another 20 minute conversation with her and she said so she pulled out. So it's like 1230, 1230 in the morning on Sunday or Monday. Mm -hmm. And we have to shoot at 1 PM the next day and we don't have a location. And we're in the middle of a shoot <laughs> that I'm supposed to be running. But it sounds like had the bar owner been totally on board with what you guys were shooting. It wouldn't have been this, a problem. It wouldn't have been a problem. The police would have called and said, hey, we hear that there's going to be a shoot at your bar. There's going to be a gun involved. And then the bar owner goes, yep, that's right. Uh, it's all taken care of. We'll let you know if there's any problems. And the police go, cool. Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. All this, Just this guy, he probably would have lectured the crap out of her about how it's, you know, not... <laughs> you know, appropriate Maybe. and whatever, whatever, whatever. Unless she knew exactly what was going on and be like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. Right. They're not shooting people in a bar. Right. They're totally unrelated scenes. Right. And, and that's oh, what okay, I tried okay, okay, to okay, say okay. to him. And he was like, just kept on interrupting me. I don't know. It was ridiculous. Anyways. So me and one of the producers at that moment, we walked around. There was a bar across the alley from the supermarket in this big plaza, like a like a bar that's like in a plaza and it's just like one door and a, to a completely blacked out like old school dive bar. So we walk over there, we meet the bartender. She gives us the manager's information and, uh, you know, it's too late. She's already asleep, she says, but you can call her in the morning, see what she says. It probably, probably would be okay. We look at the bar. It's like completely not what we were thinking or what the director wanted. And so basically it's like 1.30 a.m. and we're like trying to find like options to shoot the next day. So, you know, I got home at like 3 a.m. or 3.30. I sleep for like three hours and then wake up at like 6.30. And then I start like calling bars that open at six, trying to like get, you know, some other backup options. And then when eight o'clock rolled around, I texted the bar owner um, or the manager at the one across the supermarket. And then after three text messages, she was like, yeah, you can, no problem. Come on in. Uh, I'll be, I'll meet you guys there at one. No problem. Um, and they opened at two. So the, the deal was we had to like, you know, shoot while they were open, but that was the same deal with the other bar. They opened at 11. So we had to shoot it in the, that bar open also. So, but you know, I was like, okay, all right, sweet. This is amazing. So it was like completely crisis averted. And then uh, I, I was like, you know, I can't not call the police. Like, I have to call the police to let them know what we're doing because we're in a parking lot that's visible from the street. Because I was scared <laughs> that, like, the same thing would happen with... Yeah, the, of course. It's a different town. So it wasn't Sunnyvale, it was Santa Clara. And then I was, the uh -huh. woman, the bar owner of the first bar said the Sunnyvale police were particularly a pain in her ass. So, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, well, hopefully Santa Clara is easier. And, uh, yeah, I called them that they were like, don't worry about it. Just, that sounds okay. Just call us tonight at six 
and let that shift know and then we'll talk you know and then we'll put it in and if there's any concerns we'll let you know then and then so the bar shoot was a crazy uh first off we got in there they were super great. They, they, the crew immediately started ripping things out of the bar, like taking the lamp out above the bar, the pool table off and like moving the dart board machine and like all these things. And everyone started to freak out. But then I was like, no, don't worry. We'll put it all back. And then they were okay and they were cool. And so everything's going well. And then we just start to shoot around like 2.30 is like when we're getting our first shots off of this big dialogue scene. And we had like Dolly Track rigged around um a pool table and this like fancy like intricate setup and like basically the camera is like gonna go around the pool table and follow the actors as they play pool and talk so it's like this kind of like intricate like thing that you had to like plan the timing they had to know exactly where they were when they said each line and then right at three o'clock all these uh (laughs) one of the guys called them daylighters just like these uh uh, you know, uh, union construction workers basically who like, you know, start work at five and then like get off at three and then go directly to the bar after they finish work. And they were just like already a little drunk when they came in. And, uh, you know, it, it was really challenging <laughs> to keep them quiet. Cause like they, they're like, we're usually the rowdiest, loudest bunch of them all, you know? And like, but I bought them some beers and they were cool and they were actually quiet during the take and they're in the movie because you know, the, the shot's pretty wide. So they're in the yeah. background the whole time. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a odyssey, like keeping them quiet and controlled. <laughs> um, and they're like completely harassing our female second AC and just like, you know, like, come on, baby, clap that board over here, you know, and like, oh, my God, guys, <laughs> like, Jesus. But, you know, it, it the, in the end, the way that we dealt with it, it worked out really well because we didn't offend them. We didn't like try to boss them around. We asked nicely. We bought them beers and they were pretty cool. Um, So we get out of there. And then this is the funny thing about the cops. Like, so at 730, a, a co- I, so I call the cops. They said, oh, no problem. Whatever. Same basically thing. We'll let the officers know. If there's any questions, we'll like, we'll reach out. And then at like right before we're starting to set up the outdoor scene, a cop comes at 7:30 and introduces himself. And then he asks like, "Do you have a permit with the city?" I was like, "No." He's like, "Do you?" And I was like, "We have permission with this supermarket. We have permission with the bar over there. And this is what we're gonna do right here." And he's like, "That's fine, no problem." Blah blah blah. And then like shake hands. If you have any concerns, call us. Or you have any issues, let us know, and we'll come and help you out. And then he drives off and I'm like, oh, this is how it's supposed to go. This is amazing. And so like basically all like the worst fears were just, t- it just, it all just worked out, you know? That's great. And it is just crazy. We also had an actor who left the project in the middle too. Cause uh, we were trying to do a pretty <laughs> tough, like um, edgy version of the end of the scene that wasn't written in the script, but that we, the director wrote like, like three days before we shot the movie. Right. And so as soon as he suggested the scene to the actress, she was like, no, Absolutely not. I'll still do the other stuff, but I'm absolutely not going to do that. And then after that conversation, uh, she just never picked up her phone again. (laughs) And disappeared. And just disappeared. And so we, like, that was on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, it was on Sunday. And so on Sunday, I also, before the, the location went away, I had to find a replacement actor. And I found one. It was the same woman who was in the rage. And, uh, she came and helped us out, and she did a great job. But uh, wait, the same woman that saved you on the rage saved you on this movie. Too? Yep, exactly. That's amazing. I know. She's like, she's the ringer. Yeah, she is. She's like my hero. Um, <laughs> I told her that like one one time we have to make a movie where she doesn't do something uh, lewd or crazy in it, you know. Um, and I don't want to say what it was because I don't want to ruin the surprise. Because I think this movie is going to go get, get online pretty quickly, probably by the end of the year. So mm-hmm. you should all be able to see it relatively soon so i don't want to give away what the ending is but uh it's pretty crazy <laughs> oh man well way to work through all those problems I yeah mean, that's that story is i'm sure every independent filmmaker can relate to yeah we've I, all had those kind of productions yeah and, and a pa walked off set without telling me um so this is a little bit of a transition into one of our topics sure do you feel like because you guys didn't have enough prep this is that's why a lot of these things happen like in some ways do you feel like you cut some of the corners that you would have normally taken on on a project like this oh i think it's more of the same problem that um i've learned on the rage and on other projects where it's like if i'm being told something um 
I I shouldn't take that as 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 truth. Like I need to mm, I need to right. have comp. Why didn't you learn from this? I don't know. I'm just too trusting, man. You know, like I, I as the producer, I can't just say from another producer or another person who's involved with the film if they say they have a location, they talk to the owner, and it's all good. Um, that can't be enough. I have to have a conversation with the, with each person that we're doing business with. And a lot of the reason why I didn't do that really is because like a lot of the owners are like Korean American and like, mm-hmm. it's like they have the hookup, they have the connection. So it's like, why do I have to even be involved? You know, obviously with some of them, like that's not the case. And I should have <laughs> been more clear. And I, you know, I did ask for the contact information from each person, you know, but like, Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't always happen. Sometimes it did happen, but I mean, I, I could have also, I knew the name of the bar. I could have just called and asked for the owner, but it was just like, you know, I was just like, well, it's taken care of. Like, I don't like, that's not a problem I have to worry about. Right. And right. same with the I'm actors. Not in charge of locations. Yeah. It's like, oh, I was told that that was already taken care of. So I'll assume it's taken care of. When someone tells me it's taken care of, I just have to believe them. And I, right. and I wonder if I always will just have to believe them, you know, because I don't want to be that person who's like second guessing everything ever someone tells me, you know. Um, but I guess, I mean, maybe I'd need to just double check and maybe there's no problem in double checking and just having my own conversation with these different people, you know? Yeah. I think this will, if they keep happening, you'll eventually just be like, all right, I've had enough of this. It's like, it's not <laughs> worth the, the stress right. and the lack of sleep and everything else that comes with it. Like, I just would rather know going into it that we're a hundred percent covered so that way I can just rest easy. It might take like two more times for this to happen before you realize that. Yeah, it shouldn't. I should just do it now. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll see. But I mean, it's just like being clear and and clearly communicating what you're trying to accomplish, I think, is just so important, you know, to uh, whoever's helping you out, whether it be an actor or a locations person or, you know, a business owner or Whatever, you know, you just need to let people know what you're trying to do because if you don't and because you're worried that they're not going to be comfortable with it, then that's probably just going to blow up in your face in a bigger way, you know, if Mm -hmm. later and and it basically did, you know, so I don't know. Well, one of the topics we came up with is, you know, cutting corners as an indie filmmaker, you're walking a fine line of doing everything by the books and then having to bend and break the rules. How do you how do you feel like this project fits into that or what did you want to talk about in context of this well i mean basically what i what i meant was like we were in this plaza yes uh on our last shooting day you know we were at the supermarket at night so we didn't think it was necessary to have to notify all the businesses in the plaza what we were doing because they were all closed and like you know we we were inside the supermarket so like what what does it matter and then but we were back there the next day it ended up being and we found out within like you know whatever we had like maybe six hours before we were going to be there once we actually knew we were going to be there so what we should have done is notified all the businesses businesses of what we were doing and and made sure they were okay with us being there because basically any one of the businesses in the plaza could have just shut us down they could Mm -hmm. just been like oh there's a film crew here they're they're using my parking spots they're uh obstructing my business um they're you know they don't have permission with the city like whatever you know anyone could have done that at any time basically in the shoot we didn't get clearance with all the neighbors you know um in the locations that we shot in the neighborhoods you know so anytime these people could have done that but i mean just from us trying to be aware and sensitive to the to everyone everyone around the crew basically i think that's kind of one of the reasons why we were able to cut that corner of like, you know, doing, you know, what are they like notifying? It's like, there's like certain forms. Like you could go around with like the notification of production or whatever. Right. And and you're supposed to do that like two weeks before. And then everyone is aware of it. And if they have any concerns, they can come to the production and they can let you know. And, um, sometimes you even collect signatures from, um, you know, uh, residential people like at a certain radius around the production, just so you, have proof that they've been notified and that right. you know they can't call just makes it harder for somebody to shut you down exactly but we didn't do any of that because we just didn't have the manpower or the time really you know yeah that's usually what it comes down to right it's like you don't have the manpower to do the the stuff the proper way it's like if it's just comes down to you Ulrich, like you, there's only so much you can do you have other right. a whole bunch of other things that you're juggling yeah so i mean i was basically just thinking about like how you know, we were making this movie, we have all these people, all this equipment, we're doing this thing, 
And basically at any moment it can all go away, uh, based off of like <laughs> right. one or two people, you know, and, and it, and it happened like the, the bar owners shut us down basically. And it was only by yeah. like the filmmaking gods that we were able to find this bar that happened to be right next to where we were shooting that happened to be cool and happened to be perfect for what we were trying to do, you know? Um, so it was just like so much luck in that. And I mean, I feel like, if we had had a different attitude that maybe it wouldn't have worked out so well, you know, if we had been less, uh, you know, I don't know, like, like we're more like, you know, gracious and humble and asking people. And like when people walk by the, the, the crew, you know, the, 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 all the equipment and everything we like, you know, like talk to them and like answer their questions and like say this is what we're doing and you know if you need anything let us know you know and like we're not like standoffish like we're in you know it's like this very kind of warm sort of um reception to the public you know and i think that's kind of what you have to have if you're gonna do this because you piss off one person and the whole thing can (laughs) go away you know so and, and i learned that on the big sets when i first started that was like the my whole job as a pa at a lot of places was just to you know help old ladies cross over cable beds and uh you know make sure that people were okay and if they had any questions let you know answer them if you, the best of your ability you know yeah i guess it's a good point like you're a guest wherever you're going so yeah you have to treat people as if you're a guest not that you own the place yeah yeah and i think we're the the reality is we're always going to be cutting corners on an independent level that's just kind of part of how it works right and when do you decide like that it's okay to cut corners and when when should you actually follow things by the books and my advice would be to kind of evaluate the risk involved right if everyone knows that the risk involved is you could get shut down and everyone's cool with that then go ahead and cut the corner but for instance like um kind of famously recently the midnight rider case where they were shooting on train tracks that they didn't have permission on and somebody got killed by a train yeah that's terrible that's probably not a risk that you should take if there's a risk of somebody (laughs) dying that's you know even if you're just like we're gonna run out of the way before the train comes that's probably yeah that's probably not a good risk yeah it's probably not worth it yeah i I don't mean i don't really know the details of of why they were there or like you just have to be careful, man. And there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of thought about being careful, especially from the assistant directors, you know, that I've worked with. Like, that's like mm-hmm. safety is like, like Safety's half their really job. Big. Well, you get so swept up into like shooting a movie, you kind of forget about it. Yeah. And so it's good to have that one person on set. It's just like, we got to always be careful and we got to be safe. Yeah. And it's our responsibility as like the people at the top of the crews. Like if you're a producer, you're a director, you're an AD, like that's your responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. For all the people underneath it. Yeah. And like, you know, that was a stunt coordinator was talking about that too. Like, just like, you know, if, if uh, one of your actors that aren't a professional stunt person and like you have them do a fall and they hurt their hand and they go home like with, uh, with an injury, that just makes everyone look bad. That makes like the stunt coordinator look bad. That makes the producer look bad. The director look bad. Like everybody look mm-hmm. bad. So like he was just like, we got to avoid any kind of injuries, you know, that we can. So, yeah. you know, and, and we did, we didn't have anything like that happen, which was great, you know. I think even like what you guys did with the guns was smart. It's like whenever you're dealing with guns in outdoor place, somebody could misconstrue what you're doing, could call the cops. The cops could show up. It could escalate. You hear about people getting shot by the police all the time, even when they're not holding a weapon. Right. So if you're holding a fake weapon, your chances increase of being shot. So I think it's really smart that you guys called the police and let them know what you're doing. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot of productions out there that shot with guns and didn't call the police. Yeah. Well, that's what they were they got saying. away with it, but yeah, I mean, well the, the Sunnyvale police officer I spoke to first on Friday, they were like super awesome and like super gracious and like, Oh man, like so glad. I wish everyone was as responsible as you are. Like we, you don't know how many times that we've gotten calls of people with fake guns and it turns out to be a film crew and they don't even mm-hmm. think or they don't they're angry that they, we, we even say that they should have called us like and then the officer who came he told us a story about like uh, some filmmakers who did something recently and they were like three guys and they were like like so confused like what why should we have called the cops like i don't understand like why are you here 
Like, well, it's, just a, it's, just a, movie. it's just a it's toy gun. It's make-believe. Why is it a big deal? And, and like, you know, he was like, I think us being aware of the problem was, uh, was part of it, you know? And I mean, and, and I heard a story early on from another filmmaking friend of mine where they, they were doing something like that. They were like shooting a zombie movie. It was right after 9-11. <laughs> so they were shooting a zombie movie right after 9-11 with some toy guns. And then I guess like a SWAT team came and like oh, geez. surrounded them all pointing guns at them. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And so everyone shat their pants and, you know, it all worked out. Obviously, no one got shot, but I mean, yeah. So he- hearing that story, I was like, wow, gotta be careful, man. You can't take, can't take chances, you know? And then when you yeah. think about it, it becomes obvious. It's like, oh yeah, toy gun out in the public world where people can see it and call the cops, uh, or a cop could see it and freak out and like, you know, get on their A game and be ready with their gun. It's like, man, fuck that. Like, that's not even, let's not even allow that to possibly happen. You know, right? Yeah, and the, this whole luck and timing thing. I mean, I think it all goes hand in hand. You know, because like, if we weren't at that, you know, at that place at the at that weekend, like, who knows? Like, maybe things would have come, turned out completely differently on a different weekend. You know, or the actor hadn't been available to come in and swoop in for us, like we would have been completely screwed, you know? Right. Well, I um, think, I mean, I have a few things to say about luck and timing. One one that's going along with what you're saying is when you see a finished film, I don't think you think about all the luck and timing that goes into that film being what it is. And for me, like the biggest one is like actor availability. Like, let's say you're on the Hollywood level and you want to work with a certain actor. If they're not available, you're not going to get them. Or if you're like trying to cast like four name actors and you have to coordinate all their schedules and like three of them are available, but one's not. But when the other one's available, the three aren't like you have to you have to compromise and you have to sacrifice based off of the timing of what's going on at that time. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the time when you see a finished movie, you think about the decisions being made on a purely creative level. Yeah. But I think so much comes down to timing too. And it's like when you're pulling a production together, it's like who's available to be your first AD, who's available to be your DP, who's available to produce it. Like all that stuff is, is based not just on who you want, but also on the timing of your production and that those people are available. Right. Well, that's why we always try to do low budget freebie projects in December or January, because that's when everyone's slowest you know, uh, yeah, like trying trying to do one in June is insane because it's like the busiest time of year for everybody. And it was really a challenge for me to find crew because of it. Like all the second ACs that we wanted were gone. All the sound people we wanted were unavailable or gone. And then, you know, half the other people we were really lucky to get, you know. So, um, yeah, I would just say like, yeah, timing's everything, right? Timing and luck. I mean, yeah. Like, your story about losing a location and then finding another one so quickly, I mean, that's not always going to happen. Yeah, we got so lucky. But we got lucky there was a bar there. <laughs> we got lucky that they were receptive. We got lucky that they were open to like two, you know, like open when we when we need, when we were there to like take a look at it. Like, I don't know, man. We just got lucky on a lot of counts. Um, yeah, and then... When that movie comes out and people see that bar, the people that don't know the behind the scenes story will probably just think that that bar was chosen from a purely creative standpoint. And either people will like it and be like, oh, that's so cool that they chose that bar. Like that bar works perfectly. Or they might be like, oh, that's a weird choice. I wonder why they chose that bar. It's not, they, they could have chosen a better bar. Well, it's going to look like, it's going to look very intentional and it's going to look, uh, it's going to, I think it's going to look like more of a pot, like a, we made a good choice because we sort of adapted uh, the scene for the bar and originally it wasn't going to be a pool scene. Like they weren't going to be playing pool, but since this place had a pool table right in the center where they wanted to shoot, it was just like, okay, well, this is obviously where we have to shoot the movie and they obviously have to play pool or it doesn't really work in this bar, you know? And uh, it ended up being fantastic. Uh over the last week, I've just been kind of thinking about like how how much of success is determined by luck and timing. And I heard some podcasts recently that made me think about this. One was like how crazy it is that the three guys from the Beatles met in Liverpool. Oh, you know, yeah. It's like these three super talented musicians all met each other and created like this super band. Each of them could have had like a solo career by themselves. But the fact that they all met and they became friends and they wrote like amazing music together, like 
don't you think there's like that's luck and timing that they were all like born at the same time in the same place and they met each other yeah what would have happened had they not met each other like would they have created would there be three bands out there with like each one of them leading that band and would they have been as famous as they were would they have changed music the way that they did i don't know i mean they all had really successful solo careers after the Beatles, you know? Right. So, I mean, I wonder what their solo careers would have looked like before if the Beatles hadn't existed. And maybe they wouldn't even have existed. Maybe the Beatles is what had had to happen in order for them to actually reach the right, to, level. to have their those solo careers that they had. Yeah, exactly. I know, it's hard to say. And then I think about like a lot of filmmakers or like filmmaking buddies that just seem to kind of like rise up together. And I feel like sometimes making it, and being successful is is based off of who you know or just being influenced by the right kinds of people like i i keep thinking about like the early days of pixar when they were trying to figure out toy story and they it almost fell apart like that movie died a few times i believe while they were making it and like what are the chances that the, the guys that were working on that movie were all there at the same time and just had like kind of the same ideas about how to tell stories and were able to figure it out like had you removed any one of those guys from the equation that movie may have never happened and pixar may never even be around i think you take you make one change right and everything changes i mean that's what um you know time travel movies have taught me is that uh you know (laughs) one butterfly yeah exactly you know (laughs) i just i don't know it's like I, i feel like sometimes there's probably people that are just as talented as me that might make it just because they happen to be in the the right group of friends. There's probably definitely people who aren't very talented who make it just because they're in the right place at the right time, you know? Um, But you can also make your own destiny. Like, you don't need to rely on, like, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I used to think that, oh, yeah, like, everyone that gets places are from connections or whatever and all that stuff. And, I mean, a lot of things happen because of that. But, I mean, you're living proof that that's not true. I'm living proof that that's not true. Um, cause you didn't have anyone give you a connection to good B. I mean, you just got a no. job as a janitor and then now you're like a lead <laughs> producer. It's like, I found that job on Craigslist. I didn't like, I wasn't friends right. with anybody. I wasn't related to anyone. I just, just happened in there. And then I proved myself <laughs> enough that I got the opportunity to produce and now direct some stuff there's always going to be people who are are more you know have more fame or more attention or whatever because of the connections because of who they are where they are who they've Mm -hmm. met like whatever family they're born into millions of things the money they have you know but that messes with me sometimes like i meet people who are rich or i see um a story mm-hmm. about somebody who's like wealthy who did this or that or whatever or like you just you're around rich people and you're like yeah why can't my life be like that you know like <laughs> why can't i just like have yeah. a, a big security blanket to fall back on or why can't i just have you know a million dollars lying around to like you know do whatever i want with you know it's like well, that's just not who you are. That's just not what you have, you know? So you just got to make do with what you got. I think that's a good point. You, you, These are things that you can't control. Right. That's why it's called luck, right? Because yeah. it's not something that you have control. It's either you're lucky or not. But it's not, that doesn't mean that there's no, there's not going to be any chance that you still can succeed in that career if it just means that you're going to do it in a different way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you just need to do, just keep on um, just going after things and putting yourself out there. I think that's probably the most important thing is just to be like, to be vocal, to ask, you know, and to, to just, just do it, make it happen. You know, like, don't be afraid to approach the, the big actor that you want for your movie, even though you haven't really made any movies because, you know, you're probably not going to get in co- contact with them. You're probably going to get shut down by their agent. You're probably not going to be able to reach them. But that does happen. Like people do get their letters or get their projects to actors they don't know. And then they do ass- agree to do them. Like it doesn't happen all the time, but it definitely does happen. So you don't, you shouldn't let anything stand in your way from at least trying, you know, there's no harm in giving anything a shot really right you're so optimistic right now 
Well, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I was so stressed out the last couple of weeks. Like ever since I agreed to do the movie, I've just been like feeling this huge weight of stress on my shoulders. And like now after we shot, it's finally gone. And I know what, the movie isn't even turned in yet. It's not even done and, and it still could not get finished in time. But for some reason, I'm just like feeling so much better about it. Cause I just know that we have like, we have, we'll, we'll get something done. Whether or not it's perfect, we'll have something to turn in by Tuesday. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think for some reason, production just stresses, is just stressful for me. <laughs> and then it's stressful for everyone. And then post is like, it's, it could still be stressful, but for whatever reason, post is a thousand times less stressful than production is, no matter how stressful post gets. Well, I feel like there's way less variables. Like with, with the shoot, you have so many variables that determine what you're going to, what you're going to actually put onto the film. But once you've shot it and you get end up in the edit room, what you have is what you have. Right. You like you can't change the performance. You can't change the actor. You can't change the location. It's like it's there. It's a it's a tangible thing and it's finite. You only right. have so much footage. And so then you have time to think about stuff and figure out like how all those pieces are going to go together. Whereas I think while you're shooting stuff, you have time to to second guess yourself and say, is this the right decision? Like once I've shot it, I can't go back. Right, so, and anything uh, can go wrong at any time too. Mm-hmm. On a production, <laughs> like yeah. any moment, you know, your grip truck could get broken into, uh, a, a crew member could get injured, a piece of equipment could break, um, an actor could freeze up and get sick and like not be able to perform. Um, you know, a, a person could get offended and go on a mission to shut down your production. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. Well, while we're talking about post, what's going on with the rage? Um, so the uh, I have an editor and a sound designer on board on the project, and they've turned in one draft of the rage, like which is essentially the second cut. And um, there was a lot of things I loved about it, and a lot of things I wasn't su- super excited about, but like more positive than negative. And uh, there's still no sound design or music done, but. That's being worked on right now. And so hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll have the sound design and the music, at least one draft of that done and then a revised cut. And then we can get closer to like finalizing it. But it's, it's coming Weren't along. Weren't you editing yourself at one point? I was. I edited the first round and then, um, I just kind of wanted to see what someone else would do with it. You know, originally I was just going to find a sound person to take over, but then I found somebody who was interested in editing as well. So, um, you know, and I could jump back in and, and do the next cut and, you know, maybe now that I have more time, maybe I should, but, um, I don't know. I'm kind of just curious to see what, what our our editor is going to do and what kind of work he's going to put into it, you know, um, and just, and just wait. Cause I'm, I guess, I don't know. I was in a big rush before, but now I'm not really in a rush. Um, but the producer slash actor, lead actor is sort of like every week sending me text messages like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, <laughs> ah, same as before. It's okay. Like, we're just taking our time with it. Like trying to make it great, you know, like, yeah, don't want to rush it. Plus you're dealing with other projects that are coming up. Yeah. And like, you know, now that I might have a full-time job, which is completely, who knows? Like I applied for like eight jobs and some of the ones that you were nice enough to send me some leads to some jobs. And, um, I think I had applied to a couple of the ones you'd already sent me and, um, and yeah, and I haven't heard back from anybody. (laughs) And I think Uh the problem is like, I don't look as good as on paper as I do as I, as I actually am, I think. And then also my reel is really, really old. So if, when people find my reel, they're like, what the fuck is this? Um, so I'm like working on a reel right now for like my, uh, shooting and editing, you know, I actually don't even have an editing reel. I just have a shooting reel right now and it's really outdated. And like my game of Thrones interviews aren't on there and my newer, fancier, better looking stuff isn't on there. So, I think once I get that together, it'll be easier to, yeah, to make get people different. excited. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So should I take us out? Do you have anything to share this week or anything? Uh, No, I don't. How about you? Not really. I Just when my movie's done, watch it. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, let us know. Well, I, well I'll, maybe I'll have the editor cut a trailer together, um, like a new trailer, because we have a an old teaser for it. So maybe what I'll have him do is like take the old teaser and the new teaser and then cut it together and make something new so we can have like a 
proper like 30 seconds to one minute or maybe even more like little teaser of this movie. Um, but we'll see. Anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. Check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can subscribe to our show notes and share your thoughts on this episode or any of our 55 episodes, which is uh, amazing to say, over 50. Holy shit. Woo. Um, or you can send us an email at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com and we'll share it on the show, not share it on the show, uh, answer questions, whatever. If you have a topic you'd love us to talk about, we'd love to have it. We we just don't, you know, we are, we'll always have things to talk about, but it's, it's nice to hear from the listeners, like what you guys want to hear us talk about or you want to talk about. Cause it's, I think it makes it more, more interesting. Um, and of course, if you like the show, tell a friend, tweet us out, share us on Facebook and just help us get the word out. And, uh, also iTunes reviews. Those are always nice. Either the long version or just the short star version. Uh, either way is super helpful. If you like the show, um, if you don't like the show, uh, you can just write us an email and tell us how to make it better. That's probably more productive. Um, anyways, thanks for listening and thank you, Timothy, for a great show. Thanks, Alric. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys on the flip side. Talk to you next week. Bye bye.